Dudes Talk Sports, hosted by Will Thomas and Chad Tujak. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Dudes Talk Sports. My name is Will, along with co-host Chad. Chad, say hello to the people. Chad here with the people. We're good. Today we're going to go over some great, uh, some great weekend worth of sports. We're going to start off with boxing. Um, I think we had a less controversial outcome to the Canelo Triple G fight this week. What do you think, Will? No, I agree. I agree. We're talking uh, on this episode some fighting, some football. Uh, getting into that that boxing match that you just you just touched on, man. Uh, Canelo Alvarez versus Triple or Triple G to Gennady Golovkin, which is possibly one of the greatest boxing names of all time. Um, Canelo won. Canelo won via majority decision. He claimed the WBA and the WBC middleweight titles. Uh, I know the first match was kind of marred um, with a draw when a lot of people thought that Triple G actually won it. And you can kind of read in between the lines of why a lot of people thought Triple G won it, but Alvarez got the first decision. Uh, The lines being that the promotion was under the Golden Boy Fight Banner um, promotion company, and Canelo Alvarez is a Golden Boy fighter. And so you can kind of see, all right, were some strings pulled? Did they want not want their guy to lose? Did they not want their guy to win? Um, and so I think the draw set it up because boxing's known to be kind of corrupt um, in drawing out this whole big money process to make way for the eventual second fight. I thought Triple G handily won the first match. Uh, flash forward to this match. I, I was one of the – I mean, I think it's it's kind of bipartisan. I think it was a 50-50 split. Uh, it wasn't nearly as controversial as last time. A lot of people thought Alvarez won it. A lot of people thought Triple G won it. I know CompuBox numbers show that Triple G landed quite a few more punches. I know he was throwing a lot more jabs, but I think Canelo overall – dictated the fight, dictated where it took place, and and landed the, the heavier, more significant shots. Now, again, I know CompuBox will, will kind of contradict what I'm saying right now, but, I mean, if you look at the end of it, and I know this isn't terribly telling uh, of a lot, but Triple G wore that fight a lot worse than Canelo. I mean, you look at Canelo's face, it looked like, you know, when uh, Johnny Hendricks faced uh, George St. Pierre and George St. Pierre won, George St. Pierre looked like he got mauled by a bear and Johnny Hendricks didn't even look like he got touched. So the same thing, Canelo Alvarez came into that, you know, looking spick and span. Triple G, you know, he had a mouse, he had a cut, he had this, he had that. Uh, I think Canelo had a small cut, but it was covered up pretty well by the uh, the corner. And so I thought, you know, it was a it was a really great fight. One of the, you know, the last few rounds were just absolutely barn burners and so I think it was one of the very few fights that live up to the hype especially in boxing I know there's been a few clunkers as of recently um not in the heavyweights the heavyweights have been absolutely awesome but you have you know you have Mayweather versus Connor which is more of a freak fight people just wanted to, to attend yeah, to see that the, the public want to see and I agree with everything that you just said I think that um uh, I think maybe there were some points in the fight where you said, oh, Canelo won this round or Triple G won this round. But I think overall, you know, it was like a 14-14 fight where mm-hmm. um, if it, if you would have put it like 115-113 in some, you know, circles, I wouldn't have argued that either. Um, I think Canelo had like a solid sixth round, sixth, seventh, um, and controlled kind of like the ring presence for the most of the fight. He was kind of pushing Triple G out to the ropes more so, and that's not what I expected at all from the fight anyways. No, um, no. I know Canelo, especially in the first one, kind of danced around, used a lot more footwork, and his, uh, his counterpunching. This one, he was really the bully in the ring, which is weird because, you know, it's like between you, you have a Mexican and a Russian fighter, usually the Russian fighters are more bullies. The Mexican fighters are amazing boxers, and they'll throw down, but they're definitely more of the... Technicians, uh, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. more technical fighters, a little shiftier quicker um but the thing is it's weird in this fight is that if if you look at maybe if we would have done this fight like two years ago uh like 2016 we get a different triple g 
And I think that's kind of like a weird progression of how boxing's going. You know, like um, Triple G actually, I felt like he waited for Canelo to come up to middleweight to take this fight um, and waited on it for so long that he might not be the same Triple G that we would have seen. This might not be the same fight that we would have seen two years ago, three years ago. Sure, sure, sure. And I know it's like, I know with Golovkin, he's usually a lot more technical and, and he's known for his jab. He's known for his body punches uh, and his power. And he definitely showed that. He put it on display throughout the Alvarez fight um, this last weekend. Um, but I just think it was very odd to me to see the lighter weight fighter and Alvarez moving up and really dictating the pace and being that guy in the middle of the ring. He really took the center uh, of the ring, which is which was amazing, and he and he held it for the by and large the most part of it. So I think, like you said, it was one of those those bipartisan fights that it could have gone either way, and I wouldn't have been mad. Um, so I don't think Alvarez won it in a in a highway robbery. So that no, yeah, and like a lot of people, you know, a lot of the public will say robbery because they did on the first one. I think this is the fight that actually everyone was expecting the first time. Yeah, and it was a great fight, especially like you said towards the the end, the later rounds. It got it was awesome, and I think you see after the fight, there's like a lot of mutual respect. They hug each other. They, um, you know, they really. I don't know how we're gonna get a third fight after. Uh, after these past two, I mean, does does Canelo take this fight again? I mean, you know, he doesn't really have any reason to other than like a fiscal, uh, a fiscal thing. But I think that if I was Canelo, you know, I'd call out Mayweather and say, hey, why are you or sorry? Uh, yeah, Mayweather and say, sure. Why are you fighting Pacquiao again? And then, you know, I don't know that the public is really wanting to pay again to see Floyd Mayweather. Um, I, I don't understand why he's like, hey, Pacquiao, you know, they're both got on their last legs, even sure. though Floyd Mayweather is still one of the best. To still the best defensive fighter of all time. Sure. Um, but you see from the Conor McGregor fight, he just wants money. Oh, and yeah. If he wanted to actually fight, he would come back and say, hey, let's fight one of these badass young guys or younger guys like Canelo Alvarez. I mean, I think a Mayweather-Alvarez fight would be a real fight. And I think you would see maybe Mayweather get knocked down, knocked out, something along those lines way more likely than seeing Pacquiao fight. Again, I don't understand the point or the presence of having Pacquiao fight again. I mean, I, how many times can you fight Marquez? How many times can you fight yeah. Mayweather? How many, how many times can you see this fight and force people to pay 90 to $150 or however much pay-per-view would cost to see two older people fight? Sure. Well, I think with Alvarez, um, I don't. I think that the, the framework is there for a third fight against Gennady. Um, I think they did this for a reason. I think the fact that the first one ended in a, in a controversial draw, which where a lot of people say it's a draw with an asterisk next to it because Triple G won the fight. This one ended with a could have gone either way. And so I think that both fighters go on to fight different opponents and then they eventually come back to a third fight. But I like what you said about Alvarez versus Mayweather because they had fought beforehand and Mayweather is very calculated. The one thing that I will give him is that he's very calculated in his returns. Um, there's a reason why he always un or he he's unretired like five times now. It's because you know there a lot of his fights coming back. They're all cash grabs. You have Manny Pacquiao versus Mayweather the first time, which was the fight that was supposed to happen when they were both in their prime, and all of a sudden five or six years down the road when they're both out of their prime. Mayweather, right, and and coming out of your prime, it favors defensive boxer. Correct. If you're not, yeah. If you're an aggressive boxer and you're out of your prime, it's gonna the fight's gonna favor defensive boxer. Oh, correct. Yeah, and, and Mayweather is the best boxer of all time, technician wise and defensively, because he's mastered the ability to just 
play the sport of boxing, which is to hit and not get hit. And he does that in reverse order. And so I think his technique is still sharp as ever. He's not punchy. He's not, he's not, you know, punch drunk with all that stuff. He he's very smart and calculated with his approach in boxing to where he just relies on his skill set. And eventually father time will catch up with him, but that's the thing that's going to beat him. Not a weak jaw, not any of that, not, you know, being body soft. He's not taking damage in any of these fights. The only damage he's ever really taken was against Sugar Ray Leonard, I think. Uh, or no, sorry, Sugar Shane Mosley, sorry. Sugar Shane Mosley, when he got caught with the right hand, that's the only time he's ever been really clipped hard. And so one of the first times he came back is when he fought Alvarez the first time, and Alvarez was on a tear. He was the new up-and-coming young guy, but he wasn't anywhere near he what, what he was now. Um, and he was very calculated in saying that, hey, I'm going to do what all, all, like all my haters say that I never do, which is fight the young buck coming up. He's like, I want to fight him now. But I think he was very calculated in going, I want to fight him now while he still has his name, but he doesn't have that, that veteran savvy. And so he beat Alvarez pretty handedly. <laughs> and so now I think if that sets up for uh, an Alvarez-Mayweather 2 fight, I think he faces a completely different animal. I think he faces a Manny Pacquiao-esque type of um, – boxer on a meteoric rise um as yeah, opposed so like, to like eight eight years ago not yeah. seven years ago yeah pacquiao, it's a, not pacquiao uh, that's been on the meme splash page of everyone's instagram oh yeah to the floor yeah, yeah so i think matt i think mayweather pacquiao too i think it's, it's nothing more than a cash grab and i think if it happens it happens and i still think it makes a, a good bit of money just because it has those two names um but i think it, i mean they're mayweather's such an expert at putting his his name out there it's like kanye will co- occasionally come out and say some random dumb stuff just to put Kanye's name out there. You know, I think Mayweather does the same thing. He'll say, hey, I'm coming out. I'm going to make this 51-0. Even if he has no intentions of this becoming anything, that way, in case the right fight ever does line up, his name is still relevant, and he can take that fight a la Conor McGregor or something like that. So Yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor, to the pundits, that fight actually came out exactly how everybody predicted sure. it was going to happen. He, did, sure. he said Everyone said Conor McGregor's going to go out there. He's going to throw a ton of high-volume amount of punches. Yeah. And he's going to land him, maybe, maybe not, but he's not going to knock him out. He's not going to knock him down, and he's going to be tired, and he's going to lose after that. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they called that fight, I thought, pretty prematurely, but, uh, I mean, especially for a UFC fighter. You know, you see them get knocked down a lot, but I guess you, you know, have to call it where you see it. But I thought that everyone pretty much had that one right on the money. Yeah. So would you pay $90 to see Floyd Mayweather fight Manny Pacquiao? Well, that's the thing. I think I wouldn't personally, but I think it's still going to make a ton of money. Now, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what the first one was because the first one could have been a thousand times more than what it could or what it was if they had fought when they're in the, or when they were in their prime. I think if this second fight happens, it will be the most streamed event because everybody's going to be looking for torrents and, and streams. They're not going to want to pay a lot, but I still think a good bit of people will pay, will pay just to see so, just to pay you, for that. Do you feel like Manny Pacquiao owes you money after he said he had a torn rotator cuff after the last fight? <laughs> no, no, I don't feel Manny. I, I don't. Did I pay for? We that? could go to the Philippines. We could shake him down. Yeah, we could. I mean, I mean, you can. I'll, I'll hide behind you. No worries about that. <laughs> But yeah, it's like I mean I wouldn't pay personally, but I still would also watch it just because it's one of those things that you have two gladiators. Yeah, yeah, you gotta watch it. Yeah, but I mean I think that in terms of boxing, there was a lot of stuff that kind of went on this weekend. So I mean. Speaking of a lot of stuff going on this weekend, let's hop over to the NFL. Let's kind of lead it off uh, with Josh Gordon being traded to the the team of all teams, man. The one, the monsters that they that nobody wanted him to go to, the Patriots. What are your thoughts on the uh, the trading and the the saga that kind of led up to that trade? Well, the Patriots got handed uh, a big L this weekend by uh, via Blake Bortles' right arm. I know. Um, Keelan Cole, who I had in DFS two weeks ago, went off this mm-hmm. week. Thank, thank God for him. You know, whatever. 
seven catches, 100-plus yards, and touchdown. But um, I think that that game really exposed how weak their passing game was. I mean, they uh, had Jalen Ramsey in coverage on Rob Gronkowski for a lot of the game, and, you know, their wide receivers got shut down pretty handily. I mean, they have not a lot of wide receiver talent over there. They have Chris Hogan. They have Philip Dorsett. Um, I know they use a lot of scat backs in a lot of their formations. They needed a big body wide receiver after they tried to trade Mike Mitchell sure. uh, over over the summer. Um you know, they have signed a tremendous amount of wide receivers. They signed Corey Coleman. They signed Eric Decker. They making took a lot of swings. I think Josh Gordon is just the latest in the swings. He's the most talented physical specimen that they've had on the roster in a long time, maybe since Randy Moss, mm-hmm. um, as far as wide receiver talent goes. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, probably one of the best tight ends to ever play the game in football. But um, he's a physical specimen. He's fast. You know, like you said in the last podcast, Flash Gordon for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a good signing if Josh Gordon can actually – play to his talent that's a huge if huge if if, huge if so um apparently he injured his hamstring when he slipped and fell or something at a photo shoot yeah and uh that's why he was benched last weekend and then they said they were going to release him um and then ended up getting a fifth round draft pick conditional seventh going back to the patriots if he doesn't start 10 games this year Mm -hmm. but i think he's a plug and play guy i think that uh he knows he's been studying a lot of football, not been playing a lot of football. His body is well-preserved. I think it's a fantastic signing for anyone who wanted a big body, fast wide receiver who can catch the ball, high point the ball. He's probably one of the top seven or eight wide receivers in the NFL if he can stay healthy. Uh, I agree. I think one of the weird facts that I heard was, uh, I can't remember the, the exact names, um, but one of the coordinators and position coaches over in New England used the same terminology because they come from the same coaching tree as one of the coaches uh, in Cleveland. And so I think that, uh, I mean, like you said, it's kind of a plug and play. I mean, if this, it's the same terminology, the same assignments. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's certain wrinkles and different nuances with the New England's playbook. I, I don't doubt that at all. But I think he, you're, not, you're, you're pretty much getting the best case scenario for him to come in and contribute right away. You know, it's like you don't have a, a putrid wide receiver core over in New England, but they're not great, man. It's like you have Edelman still coming back in, in two games if he comes back. Uh, you have Chris Hogan. You have Gronk sitting over there. Um, but, I mean, aside from that, you're really relying right now on Philip Dorsett as your, your main big play guy. And yeah, I mean, he's not a big – he's a slight frame. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like a T.Y. Hilton type-esque player, not as fast, not as twitchy, but – um, good serviceable wide receiver. He had a good first week, I think seven for seven for like 50 yards or 60 yards, 66 yards and a touchdown or something like that. Um, however, I think that the Patriots won this trade. And I think that the way that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady run their offense and Josh McDaniel runs their offense, they demand no personality and all talent. So just do oh, yeah. your job. I think that, um, mentality actual will either be really, really good for Josh Gordon, like it was for Randy Moss or really, really bad for Josh Gordon and maybe push him into some other kind of mental issues because now we're talking about outside of football yeah outside of football i don't think that that rigid structure is necessarily good or bad for you it will push you in one direction though for sure. sure sure no i think josh gordon right now needs a path to follow and i think there's no better area than new england that gives you know gives the uh, the wicked to become the righteous in terms of a path wise they go, they go look you're gonna play football there's not gonna be any games there's not gonna be this you gotta follow this guy this guy has all to say go do your job and I think that thrives for some people, and I think it doesn't thrive for some people. So I think it's a huge if, and it remains to be seen if it will be. Uh, I want to say a quick, uh, a quick uh, silent prayer for Corey Coleman. 
Uh, Jesus Christ, man. I'm sorry that you have to continually deal with this. Uh, Josh Gordon comes back to the Browns after uh, his absence in training camp. Corey Coleman gets cut, bounces to the Bills, bounces to the Patriots. Or sorry, no, he, he gets traded to the Bills. Sorry, cuts, bounces to the Patriots, gets cut again when Josh Gordon comes back in. So, Where's he at now? Is, did he, is, think, is he clear waivers? Or? I think he's cleared waivers, but, man, right now he's just sitting pretty uh, waiting for somebody to sign another first-round pick. <laughs> So kind of let's speaking of the Bills, let's kind of hop over to <laughs> Mr. Vontae Davis uh, saying a, a no moss during halftime uh, of the last Bills game. Uh, my questions are: Are the Bills really that bad? Uh, is it is it a CTE thing? Is it one of those things that he just you know? Uh, I think it was Tiki Barber said that he realized he was going to retire uh, when one day he showed up for st- when he was stretching in uniform before the game and he just realized he didn't have it anymore. Did he just have that epiphany during halftime? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so uh, just actually kind of exactly what you just said. I think that's what Vontae Davis came to the realization of. He just got in there on the field in the first game. It's the first game he's played in a while. He was injured for most of his career with the Colts, and he mm-hmm. said, there's just no reason for me to be out here anymore. Like, I, I don't have it anymore. Like, I can't compete. I'm not passionate about this. And I think he just hung it up at halftime. I know it's like fairly unorthodox, obviously, but the Bills are that bad, yes. <laughs> um, I mean – Vontae Davis is like an injury-prone guy to be lined up against Keenan Allen, which is like one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL, and just get smoked yeah. on every play is not fun. And then to get hit on every play is not fun. And then for him to have the opportunity to have his – you know, he's got a really, really bad groin. Um, so anything that he does, even if he goes bowling, he might tear that groin again. So risking his future for something that he doesn't care about, the dude's made tons of money. He doesn't yeah. need to be doing this anymore. It's kind of like when Patrick Willis just said one day, I'm done. And it was a toe injury. It was just a toe. I mean, we say just a toe injury. But he said that he saw a future for himself that was not CTE. That was not uh, Brad Johnson taking an elevator up the stairs. That was something yeah. better for himself. And him and Vernon Davis are very... Um, cerebral guys yeah so i imagine they both thought about that and they've talked about it and i think vernon davis isn't far from hanging it up either i think that uh Vontae davis had nothing left in the tank his body has been you know riddled with injuries and the bills are really that bad no i agree i agree i know linebacker lorenzo alexander came out saying it was completely disrespectful and, and you can't fault him for, you know to a degree on that spot just because having a teammate quit no matter what uh, you committed to that team, especially for a game, then at least try and help your guys. I mean, they're out there kind of battling too, but in the same aspects, I'm not in Vontae Davis's shoes. I don't know what he's thinking, and I think at that point, maybe it's more detrimental if he goes out there the second half and he's giving it half-ass. He doesn't have anything to prove. He's not playing with everything he can. You know, make way for somebody who wants to be out there. And I think I, I agree with Davis in that point that if somebody – I'd much rather a guy who wants to be in the foxhole be in the foxhole as opposed to me just being there just to get a paycheck. And so that kind of moves on from Bill's talk. I think let's, we can kind of address uh, Fitzpatrick's attire, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, who actually – Fitzmagic just got trademarked uh, by the safety in Miami uh, that was drafted uh, drafted this year. I can't remember his name. came out of Alabama. Uh, but he actually got trademarked, so I don't know if we're going to be using that too much more. Uh, but he trademarked Fitzmagic? Yeah, he, yeah he, tra- he stole that thing from Ryan Fitzpatrick because nobody else had it. So, I mean, good hats off to him. But <laughs> we, can, we can kind of talk about this a little bit. I know it's already been kind of posterized, or posterized via the meme across every single internet yeah. facet you can imagine. Was it the, the Harvard Ryan Fitzpatrick 
you were and then the, the Ryan Fitzpatrick she told <laughs> yeah. you not to worry about. Yeah. So, so, yeah, apparently he raided Deshaun Jackson's locker and uh, all hilarious. that his gear. But the chest hair did belong to Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> that was all his, Dude, all man, all beard. He had the greatest one-liners in that, like that, that brief, brief uh, media meetup. And he's just saying, is there any of that yours? No, but the chest hair is mine. There's just a few other things. Uh, it's funny seeing you know, D-Jack sitting there with a towel around his waist just watching the entire media <laughs> dust up. Just going, man, I need my clothes. So that was funny. And then uh, ironically, or not ironically, more interesting, um, Deshaun Jackson came out and saying, you can't take the hot man out. And that's obviously in lieu of, uh, uh, what, what's his name, Jameis Winston coming back uh, after yeah, his four-game so suspension. Yeah, so that's a great question. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You are um, Dirk Cotter. Okay. Uh, you're playing the Steelers this week. You just smoked the world champions last week. You mm-hmm. smoked Drew Brees, Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback with first ballot Hall of Fame head coach Sean Payton. Uh-huh. Your quarterback is 48 for 61. So good for 70, almost 79% completion rating. He's thrown for all over 800 yards in two games against one of the best two defenses from last year. Um, he has eight touchdowns. He has one interception, just kind of not his fault. Um, he could have definitely thrown it in a better spot, but receiver dropped the ball. So he has multiple uh, touchdowns at 75 yards uh, per pass. What do you do? His QBR is 96. His QB rating is 151.5. I mean, we've seen this from Ryan Fitzpatrick. I remember one year with the Bills, Stevie Johnson. Yeah. He went 4-0, finished 4-10 yeah. <laughs> like the next 10 sure. years. So what do you do here? Do you just ride this until the wheels fall off? I Honestly, I, I do that. I do exactly that. I ride this until the wheels fall off. I think Fitzpatrick has shown via what the stats that you just said that, I mean, with the Bills, he started 4-0 and ended up 4-10. I think with this, I think his QB play style is so much more predicated to the talent they have around him than Jameis Winston. I think Winston um, is a let-me-see-what-I-can-make-happen type guy, and that's going to do one of two things. It'll be either Brett Favre or it'll be Brett Favre. He'll either go out he'll either, he'll either go out and throw four TDs or he'll go out and throw six interceptions. And I think Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick kind of has a similar mold with that in terms of airing it out. But I think he's not afraid to, 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 take, or to take the deep shot when it's there, but he's also calculated enough to not really consistently throw it up when he's getting sacked like Jameis Winston running for his life around the goal line in the red zone. He's going down and Jameis Winston just pitches it up like uh, almost a Magic Johnson like baby hook shot not even looking where he's throwing, and the linebacker picks it off, and he's coming back to the sidelines, and the coach is going, what the hell are you doing, man? And so I think with Fitzpatrick, I think you, you ride this to the wheels fall off, man. I think with he's utilizing Deshaun and Evans how you're supposed to use him. Deshaun's fast. He can get up the sideline. He can get up the skinny. He can get separation. Give him the ball there. With Mike Evans, he can get the ball anywhere that you want. Go just go throw it up to him. He's, both, he's really utilizing that, all those, uh, those athletic playmakers along the Bucks. So let me ask you this. Uh, let's say hypothetically outside of the Jags, whose defense do, do we think that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't carve up at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think like you said, outside of the Jags, uh, man, I think the Rams. I think, I think pressure ultimately gives Ryan Fitzpatrick problems. Um, oh, th- man, the Eagles' front front seven is supposed to be one of the best in the NFL. It was supposed uh, to be, but it ended up – a good. They did a number on Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, but they didn't do a number on, on Fitzpatrick. So, I mean, it's – Oh, it's, yeah. It's, so, it's, then who gets the credit here? Is it So, let me ask you this. So, Josh McCown last year had a renaissance uh-huh. in New York. 
Um, and we couldn't really know, we didn't know where to attribute that to. Is it Josh McCown being just like a savvy veteran? So here, do you give the credit to Jason Licht or do you give it to Dirk Cotter? Do you give it to Ryan Fitzpatrick, a mold of the three? Because his weapons, OJ Howard, Mike Evans, Cameron Brait, Deshaun Jackson, up and coming receiver Chris Godwin, um, are pretty spectacular. I think if you put those in, I don't know, Green Bay, if you put Aaron Rodgers here, uh, they're literally missing everything but a running back. Yeah, I agree. Um, so who gets the credit for this tremendous performance by Fitzpatrick in the offense of the Bucks? I think you say or you said it's more of a combination of all three, and I definitely think they scheme to eliminate a lot of that pass rush, which is good. Um, but also, they didn't just scheme to eliminate a lot of the pass rush. Every single play that was there to be made was made. You know, Deshaun between Deshaun not dropping anything between Mike Evans really going up and muscling in for well, position. Deshaun, Deshaun, I mean, so yeah, Evans was a very inefficient with the ball last year Correct. as far as targets per catches. But Deshaun Jackson is actually outside of playing for the Bucks a pretty efficient um, catcher. Oh yeah, he has like maybe two registered drops three years ago. Yeah, um, and so he's super. He's got great hands. He's he's really good. I mean, how good. I didn't mean to interrupt you, I guess, but how good can this Bucks offense be if everyone's executing exactly how they're supposed to? Well, I think it can be phenomenal. I think you saw exactly how good it can be the past two games. Um, last game was, I mean, last game everybody was uh, was operating on, on all cylinders. OJ Howard took, uh, you know, a, a intermediate catch and ripped it off for seventy five yard touch. Yeah. So it's kind of like everybody's doing. I mean, those are the best plays as a QB to have, just to kind of dump it off and have the 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 ball carrier at that point make you look phenomenal. So I think they caught a few breaks, but they also, I mean, every single play that was there to be made, they made. And, and you can't contribute that to luck. You contribute that to skill, and everybody was dialed in. And so I think that you see the, the past two games, they're as good as they can be. Uh, the defense is a big question mark, obviously. You have, uh, you know, your linebacking course kind of set there. They're, they're you know, with uh, – <coughs> sorry. With the cornerbacks, uh, I can't remember if their cornerback's still out. Grimes, if he's been out. I know he's out the first game. Oh, but, he played last game. Uh, so, yes. okay. So, yeah, so then Mike Evans uh-huh. went against M. Laddie last week, uh, Jalen Mills this week, two of the premier corners in the NFL. Mm-hmm. This week he gets soft matchup against Steelers DBs. He gets Kyle Fuller in two weeks. And then for the rest of the year, it's kind of soft. He might get yeah. Jano um, in November uh, mm-hmm. when they play the Redskins, but Jano might have to cover Deshaun Jackson. Sure. Um, he might get Janoris Jenkins when they play the Giants, but at the same time, you know, Jackrabbit's not what he used to be. So do the the Bucks have played their two hardest games probably of the year of what we can see so far. And mm. they play the Saints again, which might be another tough game because um, it's the Saints, but they've played their two hardest games. I mean, I think that Eagles game, they didn't play Carson Wentz. That's the only thing that really makes me kind of iffy is they didn't play Carson Wentz, but their offense still put up 27 points. Sure. And a lot of it was trying to run out the clock at the end of the game. So they play the Steelers this week. If they can keep up with the Steelers offensively, I think if their defense shows up, uh, do you feel comfortable saying they might sneak into the playoffs? I mean, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I mean, the way that they're playing right now, and I've, I think one of the big reasons that I would say you stick with Fitzpatrick is not only is he nuclear hot right now, but he still has to face the NFC South quite a few more times throughout the year. And like you said, the NFC South pass coverage – isn't that great? I mean, they're all pros are already, already getting beat. And so it's kind of, I think that with the reps that he's already gotten, the rapport that he's built with the offense and the, the nuclear chemistry that they all have right now, I think you, I wouldn't be absolutely surprised if they actually sneak into the playoffs. Uh, and I would honestly, I'm shit. Maybe the, I want to say surprised that they sneak into the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if they won the NFC South, you know? Oh, wow. and, yeah. The way well, that so then, 
this coming week, um, they play a team that everyone had to win the division, who was the Steelers. If they rip off a win this this week, I think that, like you said, they they make it to the play. They might win the division actually, sure. especially if they beat the Saints one more time. But uh, number one wide receiver in the NFL in some circles, AB, I <laughs> uh, was telling people, hey, trade me and let's find out who's. Let's find out who's good, better, or who, who makes whose career better, me or Ben Roethlisberger. And this was like at a, a jab that some media reporter that yeah. used to work for the Steelers said, uh, the only reason A.B. is good is because, and when I say A.B., I mean Antonio Brown, for those mm-hmm. who aren't sure, um, that the only reason he's good is because of the high-volume targets that he gets from Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. And uh, A.B. said, nah, trade me. Let's find out. How do you feel about that comment, and uh, how do you think he does this week against the Bucks? Well, it's interesting because normally I would kind of just contribute that to the media blowing up something that it shouldn't have been. I think he would, like you said, it was a joust or a jab at a at a, uh, a media pundit just to say, hey, man, it's like you really don't think I'm that good? Trade me, and I'll show you how good I am. I think that was, at first, it was blown up to more than what it should have been. I think it was just directed at that guy, not not a jab at the Steelers. But then it's been announced today that he was a no-show yesterday at practice. Now, it hasn't been uh, formally addressed whether he was uh, excused or anything like that. Mike Tomlin came out today and say A.B. was at practice. He was in the meetings today, uh, but that he was also looking forward to sitting down and talking with him about it. But he he didn't address anything else on the topic. He also said that A.B. has not requested to be traded to the Steelers. Uh, so I don't think there's any dissension there, but I'm interested to see why Monday he wasn't there for practice, wasn't there for film review, wasn't there for study. Uh, so that's for him being a consummate pro, it's going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic kind of shifts. Um, but I think if he's out there, I mean, he he's going to put up A-B numbers, you know? There's nothing to really Well, do. so A-B numbers, <laughs> let's let's just be fair here, okay? Sure. Um, if And actually, we've seen it with the Bears, Allen Robinson is getting insane volume. Oh, in yeah. Two weeks. Targets, Absolutely targets, targets. Insane volume. So, AB is a perennial insane volume guy. We saw Emmanuel Sanders actually after he said that trade me, let's find out post. Emmanuel Sanders said it's frustrating to be a number two wide receiver playing with Antonio Brown because you just don't get the volume that you would on another team. You sure. Know, the funnel passes to AB. So, it's kind of like a, you know, uh, Todd Haley. Everyone, everybody realized that he was good. But how good would um, I guess how much better would Randy Moss have been if he would have gotten you know 16 targets a game? How good uh, everyone thought Mike Evans was, and Mike Evans is good, but he had 16 targets a game two years ago. What other wide receivers would be just? I mean, if if Julio Jones got 16 targets a game, would he be the best wide receiver in the NFL? So you tell me, is it a product of the system or is AB just really that good? Man, I think oh, shit, man, it's kind of. It's a good question, man. It's I mean, every every single great player has that kind of marquee about them. There's very few great players that don't have that. Is it them or is it the system? I mean, case in point, Tom Brady. You know, it's like people go, is Tom Brady really the greatest quarterback of all times? Because the bajillion rings on his finger says so. But then they also refer back to, well, he has Belichick as a coach. He has a system molded around him. He's constantly getting his influx of talents like a Randy Moss, like a Josh Gordon. And so it's, it's kind of hard to address. I think if he's honestly getting more opportunities, if you get more bites at the apple, you're going to bite the apple. You know, at some point. And so I think A.B. is phenomenal. I think he's phenomenal what he is. I think for what he tested at, he he didn't blow the blow the doors off the, or blow the doors off the joint with, you know, his, his testing coming out of college. But he, he utilized his ability, his smarts, and he, he's still a dynamic athlete to really capitalize on getting the ball in his hand and scoring. And so I think him having that amount of targets and being the bona fide number one guy and having stuff funneled towards him 
does absolutely help his chances at making plays. Uh, but I also think him being a dynamic football player over you know puts that over the top. So I think he's as good as he is. But I think he's also kind of given, you know, he's given the rub by also having all those targets thrown at him. Because, like I said, if you have multiple bites at the apple, eventually you're going to bite the damn apple. And I think that's yeah. what he's doing. I think I, I would agree with you. I'd say the only um, scheme proof players are, there's only one offensive player I think that's scheme proof, and that's Rob Gronkowski. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be good in any offense. He blocks, he literally does it all. But I think mostly you'll find scheme proof players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, cover corners, Patrick Peterson, uh, Khalil Mack is obviously scheme proof. Um, um, and, and that way on offense, I, I mean, you have to really, it's a lot to your offensive coordinator, your offensive line, your quarterback of how good you are. Hmm. Um, speaking of offensive line, uh, can you tell me who is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL as of today, September 18th? I think this is a segue for our next segment. I'm going to go and say Russell Wilson, Dangerous Wilson. At <laughs> Dangerous Wilson. Nice little hashtag throw out there for Mr. I've been sacked 12 times in two weeks. Dude. Um, I've thrown I, four interceptions. I've fumbled the ball multiple times. I think he's lost two fumbles, but he's fumbled four times maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you how do you feel about the situation in Seattle? Man, I feel terrible. For, I don't feel terrible for him because ever since the, uh, the, the Seahawks-Packers game where – Golden Tate caught MD Jennings, who intercepted the ball. Therefore, it was a touchdown. And the post-game uh, comments with Russell Wilson going, or the, the, the announcer goes, how do you feel about uh, you guys winning in this controversial fashion? He just goes, man, I just like to thank God. I'm like, man, you know you fucking lost that game. Get out of here. <laughs> and so I, it's like I don't feel bad but in the same regards. Man, it's like <laughs> that Will Smith meme where he says, please send help. That's literally <laughs> Russell Wilson right now. I think he's running for his life. I also don't think it, it hurts that or it doesn't help that he faced – you know, the monster that is Khalil Mack in week two, proving that everybody that goes, I don't care if I go live in Oakland, if I live in Chicago, I'm going to line up on this left or right tackle. And I'm going to murder him every single time. And yeah, Khalil, they're moving, they're moving Khalil Mack quite a bit. Dude, in man, he, they're moving him like they, that, or like they thought they would move Leonard Floyd. Uh, and they're, he's doing everything. He's doing everything and anything. And he's imposing as well on any offensive lineman or God, God forbid, any halfback that has to kind of chip him. And he's, he's mowing through every single block and getting to the quarterback and Last night it was indicative of that. Again, he I think he had a strip sack against Wilson where he literally just palmed the ball out of his hand. A la Deshaun Kaiser where Kaiser goes to hand the ball off to Jamal Williams and you know Max Johnny on the spot right there goes, no, nah, I'll take that, and palms it out of his hand. And so I think – not to turn this into a Khalil Mack, you know, love affair session, but Russell Wilson, man, his internal clock last night was incredibly broken. I like it I've was never, awful. It I've was ne- terrible. Dude, oh like, my god! Especially even on the goal line, I was like, guy, you got to get out. Of the- you're dude. surrounded. Yeah, I mean, you're you're you're. He is the magic man in Seattle. He's the reason why that offensive go or that offense goes. And there's been so many times where he's facing. You know, he it's not like he hasn't been playing with this type of offensive line his entire career there because he has been. Man, Seattle's been known to. All right, we're gonna throw all of our money on defense and these awesome free agents and, and trade away all of our picks for Jimmy Graham and blah, blah, blah. But they're not going to address the one thing that uh, like Russell Wilson needs. And so <laughs> Russell Wilson has made a living off running for his life like a chicken with his head cut off and throwing the ball deep and making something miraculous happen. And last night, you could see him visibly freeze and get caught in a third pump fake. He'd pump fake, pump fake again, and all of a sudden you could see him like, it seems like his brain was just glitching. And you can see his arm kind of going back and forth, and he's like, I, I don't know. And that split second, 
Khalil Mack comes around the corner and goes, mine. You know? <laughs> and, and, well, he, he, and luck, uh, luckily for him, I mean, it saved his game and a lot of fantasy owners' game. He hit one dime to uh, to Tyler Lockett, which was a beautiful, Oh, beautiful, beautiful pass. throw, yeah. But outside of uh, outside of these first – I think these first two weeks were going to be the most challenging for his offensive line. He plays yeah. the Rams twice uh, in the upcoming – in the year and then also the Vikings once. <laughs> but outside of those three games, he actually has like a soft pass rush that he gets to play against. I mean, he gets the Raiders – uh, he gets the Cowboys next week, and then the Cardinals, and then then the Rams, and mm-hmm. then the Raiders. So I think that we'll see Russell Wilson in that offense actually do a lot better. Um, but God, man, you got to feel for him. he gets he gets to go home to Sierra every night. So that's yeah, like it's hard it's hard to complain about that, man. You're living yeah. a you're, you're living a charmed life. But speaking of doing better, man, NFL referees, I have uh, there's oh this, my man, gosh, I, like God. I, I man, I just I can't. For the life of me, I know this is partly Packer Homer speaking to me. Clay Matthews got hit with a roughing the passer. The first week, by all means, he did that shit to almost lose us the game. This week, I just, I, man, it's not just me. It's multiple players around the NFL. It's multiple coaches around the NFL. It's multiple analysts around the NFL that have no affiliation with this team are losing it and saying that, we don't know how to tackle anymore. What is a tackle? Because, you know, it's like you say that we can't aim for the head. Okay, we aim for the chest. Okay, you can't say we can't leave with our helmet. All right, we'll put our helmet to the side and, and wrap up. And, and and he's doing all this stuff. And so to kind of tie a little bow on this, Clay Matthews gets a roughing the passer game um, on – or roughing the passer penalty at the end, close to the end of the game against the Vikings this week, week two. Uh, that extended the drive and thus led to eventually the tie in Green Bay against the Vikings. Now, this has no – I'm trying to not make this as personal as it could be because I'm a Packers fan. If I – because I had a a penalty that I disagreed with Eric Kendricks having a similar penalty towards the beginning of the game, uh, who's a linebacker for the Vikings who had it on Rodgers. Now, I I know his was a little bit more of a penalty in terms of what the ref said it's supposed to be, uh, but – they're saying that Clay Matthews scooped him up, lifted him up, and drove him to the ground. When that's a penalty, that's a penalty. Yeah, that, you know. No, I look at the rule book. I know, I know, I know. That's why I say that is a penalty. I completely agree that scooping him up is a penalty. Just like I think, uh, not to sound like a contradiction, but to kind of debunk this, that when they say Dez did not catch it by the rules, then when Dez dropped the ball in the playoffs against the Packers. If a receiver catches a ball and is in a constant state of de-elevation until he hits the ground and gets back up, he must maintain control through the catch. By rules, that is an incomplete pass, right? So therefore, when everybody looks at it, even though by the rules that's an incomplete pass, I look at it and you internally have to go, that's a catch, man. How can that not be a catch? By the rule book, I get that. With Matthews, I don't see the scoop. I just, I just don't. And so maybe you can kind of help me through seeing the scoop. I didn't see that. What your thoughts are on the, uh, you know, with Matthews' <coughs> post game comment saying, you know, what's unfortunate is I don't know what to do anymore. Uh, but what's even more unfortunate is that the NFL is going to support the refs and back them. And sure enough, the NFL put out a statement today saying, hey, we support our refs. As a matter of fact, we're going to use the video on Matthews as a as a training tool for all the teams that we're going to send out. And everybody in their mind, including every other teammate aside from, you know, outside of the Packers is saying the same thing. And even Kirk Cousins has been quoted as saying, yeah, that was probably a generous call, which is the same type of thing that Russell Wilson, which I just talked about when they say, what do you feel about 
uh, Golden Tate catching MD Jennings, but you guys winning the game. And he goes, man, I'd like to thank God. For Cousins to, to brush that off and say, it's probably a generous call. This is a nice way as you can put it to professionally go, yeah, the other team definitely shouldn't have done that. That was, that was a bad call. I'm just like, honestly, as a, as a Packers homer, I'm like disappointed that you're making a complaint about this because you guys did not lose the game. So um, no shade thrown aside. You guys, that was an amazing game by an injured player, you know, by Aaron Rodgers. I thought he played great for the game. However, <laughs> I think that if it's close – on a penalty, you just leave it how they called it. Because when you have that bang bang play, it's really hard for refs and I'm not human oh I am human, you are human. If it's bang bang, you just do the best you can. No. And these people are really experienced. They're much more savvy than the average man. And we don't give them enough credit for how much work and time they've dedicated to this. I mean we just see them on the field, you know, sixteen minutes sixteen minutes a week. But they're doing film, they're taking classes, they're doing continuing education for this stuff. They are very well trained. It's bang bang. But I think I saw it, a pass interference play that was not called. No, um, and, uh, with over the weekend, and it was bang bang. You just can't you can't predict these things. And when you go through the replay, yeah, sure, maybe Clay Matthews did or didn't do this or didn't uh, approach this or didn't scoop him or whatever. It's just you have to call it the best way that it is in the field, and it's really hard to review penalties. No, I think that the bang bang play is. With Clay Matthews, I can kind of see it being a bang bang play. I also think they need to kind of implement like the uh, the ejecting for targeting in NCAA. That's reviewable, man. That's reviewable, and I think that they shouldn't have referees on the field reviewing this because then all of a sudden you're going to have one referee who reviews it one way, and you're going to have another referee who reviews it another way, and you're not going to get consistent, you know, outcomes each time. I think they need to have somebody who's reviewing it back in New York doing the exact same things so they can actually make a concrete structure and outcome of these rules. So I think the, that the Clay Matthews one, sure, I can constitute that as being a bang-bang, sure. And initially when it came out, the ref, the reason that was given was not the reason that was ultimately given on paper. So I also think, uh, or in, the, in their pool report, I just think there needs to be there needs to be a fix to this situation because right now, yes, they're highly trained they're highly trained. I get that. You know, it's like they're, they're smart guys. They're, they're smart guys and girls. They know what they're doing. Okay, but, so let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the play? What are you talking about? The actual Clay the Matthews Clay play? Clay Matthews play. Yeah. 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 Like you, oh, so when you're watching it, do you feel like he scoops his uh, Kirk Cousins' right leg towards his body? No. What I think he's doing is he's wrapping him up. And people that are saying that, you know. Well, he left his feet. Well, yeah, if your momentum's carrying you backwards, you're not going to fall, you know, like if a pole's sitting on the ground and you push okay, it, it's okay. going to fall. So if Clay Matthews' right hand also then wraps up his Kirk Cousins' left leg, do you think that's a scoop? I honestly don't. Again, you're getting more towards what is a scoop. You know, he's saying he's scooping and lifting as opposed to just grabbing the, you know, the ball carry and bring him down to the ground. So that's what I'm saying. With this, I don't mind it being a penalty with a bang-bang play. I get that. But what my issue is, is how do you correct this stuff when you're constantly implementing all these rules to say what a tackle is, what a tackle isn't? How do you correct this? Because you have these intelligent, highly trained refs on the field, but you keep giving them all these new additions to rules. And so not only are you confusing players, you're confusing them, and that bang-bang plays become so much more harder and arguably more um, more important once you call them because that could really dictate the outcome of the game. Like how do you – it's like there's an analogy with martial arts. If you 
you know, if or in general, if if you bring a guy who's running a marathon to two fridges, right, and you lift it open, and one fridge has all these beverages that he likes, it has Coke, it has Gatorade, it has water, it has blahs, blahs, blah, or you bring him to a, a cooler that just has one thing in it, which is water. What you know, what what fridge is he going to spend more more time at? It's going to be the one with all this stuff because he's got to think. What does he like? What is he? What's better for him? What's this? And I think ultimately, right now, with with the way tackling's heading, there's so many rules and caveats on what is a tackle, what isn't a tackle. You know, what's penalized as a tackle, what's roughing the passer, what's targeting, what's this, what's that. That these bang bang plays ultimately decide games. You know, and so I, I don't mind the Matthews one. I minded the uh, the Jimmy Graham one because I don't think that was a bang bang play. I think Charles Davis called it that. But I think that that you know Gideon was well there, or there well ahead of uh, you know, <clears throat> well ahead of Graham actually even going for the ball. Um, but you know, I just I don't I don't I don't know what a tackle is anymore. I think that you know by and large most of America thinks the same thing. You know. Well, so I mean, if you look at that tackle, I mean, we don't have a ton of time left. No. But if you look at that tackle, how different now do you feel like that tackle is from the one that? Aaron Rodgers took. Well, that's the thing, year. which wasn't penalized, correct? Correct, but maybe that penalty was created. All right, so after let me, that so so let me go and tell you how so I think I, it, it's different. That, that's like kind of like a kind of like a weird irony. Well, it's um, like about he, the, whole thing. the the thing is, if you look at the tackle that Anthony Barr made on Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't look like he's scooping him either, but no. it does kind of look like he's driving his body down slightly. Like it's yeah. a slight, slight, very slight, which is almost exactly in the same capacity that Clay Matthews does it. It almost looks like the same tackle. Well, here, yeah, it almost looks like the same tackle. And they said that with Matthews, the the thing that was ruled out was him putting his body weight on him because he even put out his arm to to you know brace himself you know so he didn't fully fall onto Kirk Cousins. Now with the Anthony Barr thing, I know it's not a popular. Thing for me to say amongst Packer fans, I don't think that hit was legal, man. I don't. I think that it was a bang bang play, like you said. I think it's playing football, but I also think if you really want to look at it, the, the ball was let go quite a few steps before Rodgers even got hit, let alone driven to the turf. I think with Matthews, the ball was being let go almost simultaneously as his shoulders going into his gut. And so I don't. I think both aren't penalties. I really don't. You know, I think that Rodgers has got the luck of the draw on being on the end of a football play where he got driven into the turf, which is football. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, the the broken collarbone ensued. Um, so I think we can go about this all day talking about tackles and whatnot and what it is and what it is and all that stuff. But I kind of want to hit a few quick picks. I know this is going to be a surprise segment that you're not privy to. Chad, give me like just give me one waiver wire ad uh, that that fantasy owners should be looking at. Uh, coming up because oh, I know GOB. 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 Exactly. GOB. That's my number one ad. Look at Ryan Fitzpatrick too. This week he's got, I mean, he's slated to be a monster um, just against that. It's going to be a shootout here in um, in Tampa Bay, Monday night football. It's going to be a great game. Um, if you can make it out, that's awesome. If not, just sit back and grab the popcorn because it's going to be a, it's going to be a fireball. If, if AB shows up to the, yeah, if, to if. the game, <laughs> we're, we're, already, we're already missing one Le'Veon Bell who's a game changer and, you know, John Connor, James Connor is great, but his, not as good as Le'Veon Bell, and if we miss, if we miss AB, it's gonna be rough. But it's gonna be a shootout. Um, I, I like Djax. If you don't already have him rostered, he's mm-hmm. really good. He's been strong the last two weeks. But GOB is my number one waiver wire with Joe Mixon going out on a, a really good offense actually this year. So you heard it here first. You have GOB, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you have Deshaun Jackson. Go get them now if you can. 
We're out of time, guys. This concludes our episode of Dudes Talk Sports. We have a few things we want to kind of address to wrap it up. We are on Twitter at Dudes Talk Sports. We are on Instagram at Dudes underscore Talk Sports. And you can go to our website at www.dudes-talk-sports.com. I'm Will. This is Chad. See ya. See ya.